Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. A bit later this week, because I have just come back from California, where I covered the Knott's Berry Farm Taste of Boysenberry Festival. We also went to downtown Disney and went to the Star Wars Trading Post, the World of Disney uh, store, the premium backlot tour. Got a few photos of their reopening plans, that sort of thing. So a lot of good stuff there. I uh, do recommend if you have a chance to get over. It was very safe, mass space. Had a great time. The food was sensational. The staff was good. Uh, limited capacity, and they're actually open every day for the next two weeks uh, during spring break. So if you're heading over to Southern California, do check it out. It was well worth it and a lot of fun. And I'm joined, as always, with Justin and Michael. Uh, Joseph's out ill today, and uh, he's fine. Just a little touch of the flu. Uh, joy of having two kids in school. But uh, we have a shorter show today, as I said, mainly because we're in catch-up mode. We're getting the magazine out, which you can catch us online at sknr.net. You can also uh, catch us at um, canalcentral.com, keyword skewed. And that's where we have the 12 newspapers and magazines that we uh, take part in. And, of course, there is our magazine and my weekly segment on B.J. Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM. We cover all things movies, games, hardware, travel, television, pop culture, and more. And uh, since we just wrapped up WonderCon 2021 at home for the second year, we have our coverage uh, coming up in the magazine. A lot of good recaps in that Justice Society, World War II uh, Creep Show, Fear of the Walking Dead, Batwoman, on and on and on. Game, uh, composer, uh, current events, pop culture, lots of stuff to cover there. But the focus on our show is going to be a couple of upcoming conventions, as well as the big movie release. And that's where we're going to start with Godzilla vs. Kong, which is opening this week uh, on Wednesday in theaters where available and on HBO Max for a limited time. The film has already opened in select markets overseas and had a very resounding success. It had nearly $70 million in China and is over $121 million worldwide in the markets that it has opened in. So um, we'll start with you, Justin. What do you make of this and what do you attribute this to? Uh, So uh, a movie like Godzilla vs. Kong has always been kind of like uh, bread and butter for you know the type of movie that might do well in China um, you know and that was really kind of the hope with the last movie it was kind of an enigma uh, why it did not do well in China because it, it's kind of you know right up the alley of kind of the, the type of movies that tend to do very well there um, you know it, you kind of go back to the, the days of Pacific Rim um and uh how you know that movie did incredibly well with china and actually sort of saved the movie um so uh it doesn't surprise me a whole lot but i guess the the bigger kind of um story here is that uh it it is kind of showing that there there are you know movies that are starting to do well in theaters again um which is you know when was the last time we heard of that like it's it's been quite some time and obviously you know that's that's in foreign markets we're not quite there here we're kind of a little ways out but um it is good to hear it's good that you know it's a step in the right direction 
Um, I'm not going to say we're, you know, fully returned to normal, but, um, you know, as a Godzilla fan, you know, I, I think it's, it's also good. Um, you know, I, I get that these movies aren't everybody's cup of tea. You know, honestly, the original Godzilla movies aren't really everybody's cup of tea either. But, uh, you know, I've been a fan of them, you know, despite, you know, the, the, the clear criticisms that I, I think are pretty valid. Uh, I think they've done a pretty good job, you know, setting up this universe. And, you know, if, if movies in this universe do well, then we're going to see more um, of movies like this and more in this particular universe. So I think it's good. I think it's a good step. Um, it's good news. You know, it's uh, I think it's always good to hear that uh, movies like this are, are doing well. And uh, just gives me some hope that we might see some more in the Godzilla franchise in the future. Okay, and Michael, your take, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still, you know, pretty surprised at how well it did do in theaters, uh, considering there's still a lot of, you know, pandemic stuff going on. You know, some countries are shutting down again, some states are opening up more. It just kind of depends, but it does kind of, I think, show that people are anxious to get back to the theater, get anxious to get back to watching movies, anxious to kind of get out of the house. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, we had always kind of talked about streaming and. And how that was always kind of a, a a risk to theaters, right? That was always kind of their main nemesis was streaming. And and I think and I, and I kind of hope, honestly, that as things kind of settle down, that there will be kind of a resurgence of people going to the movies. I think a lot of folks, uh, myself included, are kind of getting tired of streaming stuff on TV. I mean, it's great that we have the new movies coming out on like HBO Max. It's great that we have those streaming services to binge watch and, and that sort of thing. But I still say it doesn't really um, replace the overall theater going experience, and, and maybe that's just me. Maybe it's because I'm older, and I and I kind of you know prefer that setting. But I, I think generally speaking, I mean, some movies, um, movies such as big monster movies, which would typically be a summer blockbuster type of film, uh, are are obviously better to see on the big screen, or, or much better probably to see in IMAX, um, where you kind of get the scale. I think. When you're watching movies on TV, you know, and you're watching something that has that kind of scale, it doesn't really translate very well to your TV screen. Uh, you don't really get the scope of how big Godzilla is or how big King Kong is. You don't really get the 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 sound and the the quality and just the visuals that you'll get at the movie theater. I mean, regardless of how good your home theater system is and how big your TV is, you're not going to replace an IMAX, um, Dolby Atmos type of environment. So um, so yeah, I think it's, I, I'm hopeful that as things kind of settle in and movies start seeing, we get to start seeing more new releases, uh, in theaters that it'll show that, yeah, while it's nice to have it, you know, same day on HBO max, that it just doesn't replace the theater going experience. So this is good. I think this is a good sign, um, that, that folks are still interested in going to theaters are still, you know, yearning for that experience. You know, we talked about China being one of the biggest if not the largest movie, um, air, you know, movie that, uh, as far as revenue goes. Um, and I think this just shows that, you know, they're, they're, they're just as anxious to get out and see uh, movies as we are. So, yeah, I, I think this is a, a good indicator. I think there was, you know, it's a good indicator of what we might expect in the next couple of months um, as the summer months come on and, you know, the, the vaccines and, and stuff roll out. Um, maybe we'll start to see, uh, some life back in the in the theater and some life back in movies as a whole. I think it'll be interesting because it does appear that 
Uh, Netflix has got a pretty hefty release schedule. We know that Disney Plus has got not only the Falcon and the Winter Soldier going now, they have the um, uh, Mighty Ducks series out. There are other Marvel series coming. We've heard today that uh, production has started up on Obi-Wan. They released the full cast list, and that's definitely got people excited. We, you know, Andor's underway, Mandalorian. So now is going to be an interesting time to see if the theaters uh, are going to go ahead. We've already had Black Widow push back to July from May, but they also announced that it will be available behind a paywall if you want to do that. Same thing with Cruella. But looking ahead, it's going to be interesting because there are some things on the schedule that might just, uh, you know, be really the type of thing to get people going. And like one of them, I, I, I don't think people will initially jump to, but uh, hear me out on this one. It's Screen Gems, The Unholy. This is uh, one of those PG-13 horror films. Remember, this has been largely, up until recently, the only type of new releases that have been available at the drive-ins have been uh, horror films. You had the recent Wrong Turn um, reboot that came out. These are films that traditionally do well because they attract the teenagers. They're made for a fairly reasonable budget so they can turn a profit quickly. This could be something. And, uh, you know, who knows? It's got a, a pretty decent cast. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Bill Sandler, uh, Carrie Ellis. So who knows? Um Lionsgate has been pushing a lot of stuff. They have their uh, film Voyagers coming out, but, you know, Mortal Kombat, which we heard just the other day, actually just came under an, uh, an NC-17 rating. They apparently pushed the R rating as far as they could go and still get an R rating out of it. That's going to have a uh, curiosity factor to it. And then as you go away down the list, you start to really go, okay, uh, this morning, we got the new MGM Miramax trailer for Guy Ritchie's new film, Wrath of Man, about Jason Statham. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but, you know, J Jason Statham, Scott Eastwood, Josh Hartnett, he's essentially a uh, um, armored car driver uh, or uh, guard who seems to relish when they get held up because he actually likes attacking the people. And then you find out that there's a backstory as to why he's doing this and something. And it looks like a pretty dark uh, action crime caper. And Statham is definitely the kind of person who excels in that. But for me, I think, you know, Mortal Kombat, Godzilla vs. Kong aside, I think May is going to be the really interesting one because that's when you have Spiral, which is the spinoff from Saw. But you have A Quiet Place 2 at the end of the month. You have Cruella at the end of the month, both opening the same day. Very shortly after that, a week later, you have The Conjuring. Been a very successful series. You know, yes, it's supposed to go on HBO Max, but who knows? And then, you know, shortly after that, you really start getting into it. In the Heights, apparently Lionsgate today moved up the Hitman's Wife Bodyguard. Um, you know, things like that. Fast and Furious 9. Uh... That's going to be the key to me is when they start saying, okay, boom, we're going to start releasing these things and uh, going from there because we've, we're so used to all of these things playing um, musical chairs of, oh, it's moving up, it's moving back, it's moving up, and now it's moving back again. And it's interesting to see studios are now coming out and saying, now we're going to move these things up. We think 
there's going to be an audience. So, fingers crossed, let's hope. Now, related to movies, San Diego Comic-Con is not going to hold their in-person event in uh, July. We knew about this. We know they're going to do another Comic-Con at home, as they had done uh, last year. But they also talked about a smaller in-person event in November. Well, at the conclusion of WonderCon at Home, we got the news that that date would be Thanksgiving weekend, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Thanksgiving. And, of course, uh, this was met with uh, excitement, but also some people going, well, wait a second, Thanksgiving weekend, that's going to be tough. You know, airfare could be difficult during that time with family obligations, um, so on and so forth. Uh, I have my theories. And that is basically, I think that it's possibly by design in that that's what was available to them. They booked it. That was the time that they could get the hotel rooms. But it also allows them to have, I think, some modicum of uh, audience control in that if, say, for Comic-Con, when you have 100,000 spaces available and there's 200-plus thousand people wanting those tickets and it sells out fast, if you only have twenty to 30,000 tickets, this does help limit the audience in that I don't think people who live overseas, I don't think you're going to see as many East Coast people. I think essentially it might be a regional base and media, which will allow them to fill up the show but not have the mad chaos scramble for tickets. Uh, that is essentially what they get. And it allows them to get the ball rolling again um, for other events. People have said to me, well, aren't they going to have a problem getting celebrities? And my response to that was, A, a lot of these celebrities have it in their contracts. They have to do promotions when available. And B, uh, NFL players play on Thanksgiving. Um, college players play on Thanksgiving and over that weekend, so it's not unheard of. And I'm sure this is something where they would essentially have Thanksgiving dinner with their families on Thursday and then they would come up from Hollywood or wherever they're um, come down, excuse me, to San Diego. And they would come down on either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. It would probably be just a quick jot down. I, I just did the drive yesterday. And from Anaheim, excuse me, from Buena Park down was an hour and 27 minutes. It's really not that difficult to drive. So um, we'll start with Michael. What do you think of this? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. You know, I think I think with uh, you know, and a, a lot of folks didn't really get a chance to celebrate Thanksgiving in 2020. Um, so I think 2021 Thanksgiving might be an interesting time frame. I mean, I'm not going to say that they won't have a sellout crowd because I expect that they will. I expect there will be a lot more local people there than people flying in from around the country. But I also know that you know a lot of folks are have been really you know waiting for a convention of some sort, and with all the Comic cons and, and that sort of the comic book conventions kind of being on hold until until you know even 2022 in some cases. Uh, this will be a good opportunity for folks to kind of get that in, um, you know, right before the holidays. Um, it'll be a long weekend for a lot of folks, so it does make traveling easier, and in particular, it does make things easier for folks that are local because uh, again, it'll be a four-day weekend. They can kind of you know get in, do their thing. Um, enjoy their time. So it'll be really interesting to see what kind of caliber of talent they get for that time frame. I would expect a lot of TV celebrities, which is not too too different for what SDCC does. Uh, and they'll obviously have some big name folks. They they always draw that as well. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see 
you know, what what's the size of it going to be? How many people are they going to limit it to? Um, are they going to do tickets like they normally would with some sort of drawing, or is it going to be a first come first serve kind of thing? Um, and what 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 do they have lined up for that? So I yeah I think um, what that also tells us is they're probably not going to do an SDCC um, earlier in 2022. It looks like they're going to stick to the uh, July timeframe for the most part. And I think much like uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion, they didn't want to go two full years without some content. So I think this is probably less about getting people to go and it's more about um, ensuring people don't forget that it's there, keeping the hype and the interest going in alive uh, so that when they could put the show, the true show on in July, that it'll be something for them to kind of celebrate. So I think this is just a means of uh, trying to appease some fans, um, get some, you know, you know, people thinking about it, talking about it, so that when it rolls around next July, um, you know, that it'll have that excitement and buzz around it that it typically does. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I think that's, I think Michael makes a lot of really good points there. You know, I think also part of this is that, um, you know, it doesn't, I don't think it matters a whole ton which day that they choose because um, regardless of, you know, what day they choose this year, it's going to be a light um, convention regardless. So, uh, you know, every every time slot that they choose obviously has trade-offs. And, you know, I, I think uh, intuitively there's there's a lot of issues with, um, with Thanksgiving weekend just because typically people are pretty busy then. But also there's a lot of people that, you know, they might only um, have plans for the specific day of Thanksgiving and the long weekend might be open enough for them to actually kind of go to a convention. Um, you know, it does depend on the specific circumstances of every person. So um, I think they're, they probably have talked to enough people to be fairly confident that they, they could make this work. Um, but again, I mean, there's no really good day this year, regardless. Like if they chose the original time slot, um, it's probably going to be a light Comic-Con this year anyway. So um, it's just kind of an awkward year and it's probably, you know, a bit of a everything. And the other part of this too, is that if they're going to do a small event earlier in the year, following that up when, within a few months with another event, um, it would be a little bit too soon. So kind of spacing this out like something kind of soon and then something towards the end of the year I think makes sense and that way you know they at least have um, you know some living memory and in, in people for going into the next year that way that like Michael said once they go into kind of their original time slot that it feels like oh you know Comic Con ne never really went away that they've actually you know been able to hold events throughout this COVID pandemic season and actually been successful with it. And that's what makes it so interesting is because, you know, you look at it, there's always going to be exceptions to the rules, but you could see people in New York, like for example, I think maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think in some ways this limits the number of people that are going to come from a foreign destination because that traditionally is, very easy to say, well, I'm going to come to San Diego and, you know, take a couple weeks to do the show. And 
I could say even East Coast where people are going to have to deal with weather and stuff like that. I could see some saying I'd love to get to San Diego and get away. And I could see others saying, oh, it might be tricky to get out there. And it all comes back to they will have an audience, even if they were just in the Southern Cal area, um, they would have an audience. So that that is an interesting uh piece to it and and like you said it comes down to my attitude on it was i looked at it like this it's not interfering with our thanksgiving dinner in any way shape or form um you know traditionally on that friday we don't rush off to the mall to take advantage of the sales because they're absolutely crowded chaos we you know sit at home and just relax watch tv chill out so in this scenario i would look at it and say Okay, well, now we can go over to San Diego. We can cover the convention. We can do some shopping from the vendors there, get some holiday stuff done in there, get some coverage done. And as I pointed out to my wife, I said, as before, we have our evenings free so we can meet up with the local family 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night, depending on when programming ends, and we can make a whole day of it. You know, this is, these are people that we haven't been able to see for a while, that some of them that we only see when we're in the San Diego area. So this is, you know, we can still have a quote unquote holiday weekend. It's just instead of sitting at home watching TV or running through a mall, we're at a convention and there you have it. I'm, I'm actually excited. I'm very excited to see, uh, you know, what kind of response we get. I'm expecting perhaps a smaller show than WonderCon, but who knows? I, I'm very curious to see what kind of celebrities turn out, what kind of things are going to be promoted uh, end of the year, because as you know, after this, the next show of this type would probably be Phoenix Fan Fusion, which moved up to January. And so we don't know anything about guests or anything of that. We have CES. But I think we can all agree that it's looking like next year is going to be absolutely crazy for us convention-wise. Um, and that could be a good thing. I just uh, I can tell you this, though, guys, after having a fairly uh, relaxed, long several months, uh, running around downtown Disney and uh, Knott's Berry Farm was absolutely draining. It was like, wow, I, f- I forgot what it was like to be on the go so much and lugging a backpack around and stuff like that to the point where some days I just packed light, just put a video camera in the pocket versus bringing the whole load up with me. But it was absolutely fun, and I look forward to being able to do that again very, very quickly. So wrapping up our segment, we have uh, some news that came down today about PAX. The Penny Arcade Expo has announced that they will not be doing the PAX East show this year, but they will be doing an online show in July, and they will also uh, still do uh, in-person shows in Seattle for PAX West at the end of August, September, as well as PAX Unplugged in November. Now, we'd speculated that this might follow Gamescom's line of being a hybrid show. PAX, they had mentioned how in future there wouldn't be sellouts, that if you can't attend you can watch online, so we're kind of expecting a perhaps reduced capacity followed by an online segment. So, Justin, um, you've gone to PAX East. What do you expect for the July show? Do you expect there to be more stuff than there was um, in the um, last year's PAX Online? And 
do you what do you think about their plans to come back in person? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I would suspect that probably there will be some more stuff than last year's PAX Online, just because last year was such a you know everything up in flux. Um, I think now most companies, most um, producers, most devs have kind of figured out how to work in the pandemic. And, you know, it does look like we're kind of close to the end. We can, maybe the end is in sight. That's why those date, those dates of like September and August, those seem realistic. It seems plausible, um, to have like in-person events towards the end of the year. I mean, obviously there could, there could always be, um, a negative turn at any point and obviously plans can change, but, um, as it stands right now, it seems like, you know, towards the end of the year, going into next year, maybe things will be more normal. So given that we're kind of t- towards the end, potentially, hopefully, um, and the fact that I think a lot of companies have, you know, now had a year to kind of figure out how to adjust, um, there's a good chance that there will probably be some more content than last uh, last year's PAX Online. That said, you know, it's still not normal. Uh, I think we're, we're still quite far away from... Um, you know, the kind of standard, um, you know, amount of news that we, we uh, expect at any given point. Um, you know, I, I think largely this whole last year and even uh, going into this year, news has really been light. I mean, yeah, there's been some big game announcements. There's been some movie announcements here and there, uh, and it's, especially for something like PAX, like indie announcements have been fairly light. Um, I just think you know, across the board, everybody's been pretty negatively affected and a lot of their schedules have been thrown out of whack. So I think, you know, I wouldn't expect a huge show out of, of, um, PAX online this year. Um, but you know, there will probably be some stuff there. There's probably going to be, you know, a decent amount of content and obviously enough to, to hold a convention. If they, they didn't have anything, they, they wouldn't spend the time to put it together. So I think there, there will be stuff there. Um, as to the second question of this sort of hybrid model going forward, I think that's actually, that's great. You know, I, I think um, the more ways you can kind of involve um, the community, the better. I mean, obviously it's it's preferable to go in person, but, you know, I've had some experience with this. Uh, tickets can sell out extremely quickly, can sometimes be very difficult to get in, especially, you know, the, the early years, it wasn't too bad, but as the show kind of, evolved and got bigger it became harder and harder to get tickets so i think this is a good way to kind of bridge the gap and let people kind of experience this stuff kind of firsthand um as best they could from home um so i think that's actually a pretty cool model um but you know i i don't think i think there's always going to be a place for for in-person events um i don't think that there's any way that they could kind of replace all of this with only online events um, so this hybrid model, I think, is realistic, but um, but we'll have to kind of see how it goes. You know, and another interesting point before we get Michael's comment on it is let's not forget that E3 is planning on doing an online event in June. And so the July timing of this is interesting because, as Michael knows, traditionally when the companies reveal all they have to say in June, they often go quiet 
and we don't hear about them too much unless the game is scheduled to release. And that's why when PAX West comes around, it's a very welcome time because this is when you often get to see more of what was announced. In some cases, this is when you get to put your hands on it and actually get a playable build. I know we talked about how in the early years of covering E3, it was very common to just go in, watch a video, uh, do a showcase, stuff like that. And as time went on, you started to see more and more hands-on product. Because in some cases, they'd be pitching games that were well over a year or so away. And the the stations would generally only have stuff that was coming out in the next couple of months or stuff that had already been out. But then we started to see things that were, in some cases, six, seven, eight, nine months, a year away. And I'm curious how this is going to play out, especially with Gamescom being in the picture for August, uh, as to are people going to say, okay, we're going to throw everything we have at E3? Are they going to say we're going to do some there or we're going to hold back and do our own? Are some people going to come around to PAX Online? Because let's be honest, usually that is not where major announcements are. I, I kind of think that it might be more of what we had last year where there really wasn't a lot of gaming news per se and announcements. It was a lot of developer talk, a lot of uh, behind the scenes and more like deep dives into things. So Michael, wrap it up, take us home. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I kind of like I kind of like the hybrid model to some degree too because I, I do think that a lot of these conventions, uh, there's a lot of stuff that people really miss out on if they're not able to get tickets or just not able to go. Uh, so I, I'm never really opposed to offering that as an as an option, and, and I don't necessarily mean an option the way Blizzard does it, where they charge people to go to the virtual stuff. But you know, just having the ability for people to to watch it, even if it's like a delayed thing where they don't get to watch it, you know, live like other people who are at the convention, but get to follow it up later on a on a YouTube stream or something like that. Um, you know, that that tends to work well for for shows like E3 where they do live streams of the main events. Um, and it, for people who can't attend or aren't able to go there, they're still able to kind of partake in the excitement and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, 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 do, I do like that model as a whole. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what sort of, you know, again, this will be another one of those shows that are going to be one of the, the first out of the gate, right? And I think uh, there, there's some challenge to that also because they still don't know from a, a crowd perspective what to expect, what people are going to, how comfortable they're going to feel that sort of thing so i always think it's just like those who were kind of kicking off the virtual conferences um in 2020 you know trying to adopt that model i think uh we're going to see the same kind of thing with people trying to go into a virtual like a combo uh type mixed environment or something uh to kind of get their feet wet to see how these things work um how what kind of crowd does it draw what sort of issues they run into uh, so it's very much going to be an experiment for those who are going to be going out the door first. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see just kind of how this turns out, what we get to see, uh, and how how the format goes for people and how they really feel about it. Yeah, it is definitely going to be uh, interesting to see how they do that. Now, uh, you've also talked about uh, CinemaCon coming up, and, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You are pretty confident that that is going to be coming up. So lots of interesting stuff ahead, that is for sure. 
Now, this is going to do it for us today. We hope to be back next week with the full crew. Until then, everybody, take care and stay safe.